0: I hope all of you enjoyed your opportunity last week to do some uh, bouncy castle in a church. We had a really good time. The kids had a blast. If you didn't get an opportunity to be here, we do it every fifth Sunday. We do a service at 915 and then from that point on we bring in the food trucks. We have uh, uh, games for the kids. It's a real neat opportunity for the family to get together and enjoy one another. Um, I don't know if you notice as you walk in the door, it looks like I'm doing my laundry in the back. There's a couple bags of clothing back there. But what you have been doing is you have been contributing to our outreach that the youth are doing here at Crosstown called Doors of Freedom. Most of us are not aware of it, but Charleston is a really big city for um, illegal sex trafficking. that takes place a lot in Charleston. And so Doors of Freedom is a ministry that helps when when the young ladies and young men get rescued, they provide housing for them, they provide a new life for them, and and clothing. And the clothing that you brought in is used for that purpose. But also what we also do with it is we have a a clothing sale, a gently used clothing sale, that will take place next Saturday from 10 o'clock to 2 p.m. here at Crosstown. And all that money goes to help Doors of Freedom. So we really encourage you. Uh, it, there's some great clothes back there. There's some neat items. We invite you to invite a friend to come and just know that these gently used clothes, these, um, um, we call it swags of freedom, that if, if you get a hold of those things, it, it will help these people being placed into these homes. So we invite you to be part of that solution. You know, we've been talking about rising and shining, and I I appreciate you guys tolerating my my voice. Last week went out, and then I had somebody come up to me and try to encourage my my personal pride by asking me, did your voice go out, or are we gonna get to hear that girl preach again? And I was like, I'm not sure. You you wanted my voice to go out again. Well, the girl's not preaching again today, but we'll, we'll get her back up here. But we've been talking about how God is calling us to arise and shine, that through the power of the resurrection of Jesus, that our lives can be transformed. And I love Isaiah 60, where it says, arise and shine, for your light has come, that God's given light into our lives, and that the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon your life. And we learned that darkness, that the darkness that God wants us to rise out of is living life without his truth. When we think about the darkness as a force, I think we think a lot about these video games. I don't know, I'm I'm right at the beginning of the video game era. And now it was called Pong back when I started playing the game. But the realm of darkness, all the video game people now are, are in their 40s. So they're all grown up getting elected for public office, and they're your doctors, they're, they're your engineers, they're your city leaders. So uh, how does that make you feel, huh? And so they all grew up, and, you know, video gaming is fun, but, they, you know, we get into this idea that it's like fighting these elements of darkness, and we got to slay them with a sword. And, but really, darkness, as the scriptures puts it forth to us, is the absence of truth. The absence of God's truth in a person's life or in the world. That's when darkness happens. And it doesn't just affect those who don't believe in God. It affects us. Hosea 4 told us that, the, that God was saying that my people are perishing or are destroyed for a lack of wisdom. Their marriages aren't working because of a lack of knowledge that they are rejecting my knowledge for their families, for their marriages, and for their lives. So it happens to all of us. And sometimes, like all Christians, we drift and forget the truths of God. I don't know about you, but I do. I, I, all it takes is um, a vacation from here for a little bit or a vacation from, from reading the word or spending time with God. And you know, I, I turn into you know, my default me, the Irish um, guy from Boston. And it doesn't take long that I can fall into some old habits of relationship, that even though I'm saved and God loves me and I'm going to heaven, there is still some darkness that I can find myself just walking back into, habits of life. We all drift. So the apostle John wrote to the believers at his time and he wanted to remind them about, about the importance of relationships and the importance about understanding what darkness really is. In 1 John 1, he says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, that which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, he's talking about Jesus, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He said we handled it. We talked with him. We, we played video games with him. We, we dined with him. And we heard everything that Jesus was saying, and, and we were a part of what he was doing. We actually got to, to handle this word of life. But then he gives the reason why he's communicating to these these believers, and he's, why all of this happened. And he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's about relationship. But not just your relationship with God, because wouldn't that be easy? Oh, my goodness. If Christianity was just about uh, me and God, I would like it so much more. Oh, if I could just blow you off, if I didn't have to worry about anything about you, and you didn't have to worry about me, and I, you know, I was, I was talking to our uh, attorney uh, as far as the building stuff that we're doing with flooding and all, and, and um, she uh, was saying to me, she said, um, you know, it's just like nobody's responding to you from City Hall, and and it's, like it's just like they're just blowing you off. And she says, I think you're too reasonable with them. And I said to her, and I said, it's a stinking Jesus. <laughs> now, this is a really refined, broad street attorney, probably Episcopal, and probably hasn't heard anybody joke about Jesus before. You know, she's a God lover, but she probably knows. And I said, it's a stinking Jesus. He gets in the way of my Boston me." The Boston me could get this done right now. But the Jesus gets—it seems to get in the way and requires me to be reasonable, Re- requires me to go about it a different way. So it's not just about our relationship with God. It's so that we have a relationship with one another. And I know that's nothing new here. But he continues to talk in 1 John 1, 5. He says, and this is the message that we have We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. I love this kind of abstract talking. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh, okay, I get this. He doesn't want me walking in darkness. No problem there. Well, I don't do drugs. No darkness. I, I don't commit adultery. No darkness there. Um, I, I cuss a lot less than I, than I used to. I'm not gonna say it never happens to me, but I will tell you I'm a little better at it, or at least I say it under my breath and you don't hear me say it to you. It's like, okay, no darkness, no darkness here, no darkness to worry about. But then John gets real specific with us. He kind of breaks out of this abstract, you know, that he is in the light and him is light and he is the life of man and the light of men, and and we walk in the light is, you know, all that nice, beautiful abstract talking. But then he goes right to it in 1 John 2.10. He says this, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It's like, ah, couldn't we, couldn't we, fight some Belrock from Mordor with a sword and call it Christianity? Couldn't we fight some demon, or couldn't we just kind of break this down to whether or not I'm drinking too much? But whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Now, isn't that cool that it says that? Well, it stinks, but it's cool. Because it doesn't say, he who reads his Bible is in the light. It doesn't say that. He who prays a lot is in the light. He says, no, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John uses the context of darkness in the truth about relationships. I would have thought darkness would have been reserved for the demonic realm. I would have thought it would have been, darkness would be people of deviant lifestyle. But it's it's different. It's not a matter of, I just don't like them. Have you ever said that? It's not a matter of, I just won't forgive them. And that's how we, like a personal prerogative, whether I'm going to be nice to this person, not nice to this person, forgive this person and not forgive this person. John wants to break that up. He's like, listen, we're not talking prerogative here. We're talking about you are in darkness. Let's be very clear where you are. If you hate your brother, you are darkness and you are not walking in the light. I guess I needed it put like that because I could just use the prerogative I don't like those kinds of people. You know, haven't we all used it at some time? There's got to be at least a category. It's, it's funny, and I'm just going to be honest with you because I, there is a bit of prejudice in me, and uh, it's not white-black, it's, it's not, you know... Um, uh, Mexican people, it's not, you know, Italians or the Irish. I kind of like the Irish a lot. Uh, I don't have any... Big... I picked up this gentleman, and he's an African-American man that I give a ride to a lot. He lives in my neighborhood, and, and we ride together. And, and um, we were talking about white-black relationships, and he's my age. And, and uh, he, he said, you don't seem like you're prejudiced. And I said, uh, sir, I think I'm not prejudiced in the category that you and I would feel. And I said, but I am prejudiced. And he said, who are you prejudiced? I said, I'm prejudiced against Arabs. And I said, I don't like them. I don't like them in any shape, size. I don't, I'm not even sure if I like them if they're Christian. And I heard myself say that to him. Now, the first step about coming into light is realizing you're in darkness. So don't worry. We're not, I'm not going to run some Christian jihad thing here or anything like that. But it was, it's very important that all of us know that darkness can sneak up on us. It can get in us in different ways. It can be a mother-in-law. I mean, who would have suspected that? That was a joke, okay? It, um, it could be, and most of, us, most of us in this room haven't, it could be an ex-spouse. You know, I have just given my, you know, I've been married 30 years to Susan, but I have an ex-spouse. And, and, it's so, and I kind of gave my permission to, to really dislike my ex-spouse, even 30 years later. And God says, that's darkness. You don't, this, that's not your personal prerogative. You don't get to choose Irish, but not the Arabs. He says, and if you do that, you are in darkness. Let me remind you, he's writing to Christians, but he's telling them that some of them are walking in this Darkness. You know, I'm talking to Ben. Ben and the Unbound team have prayed with hundreds of people across this country, and it's just amazing how, much, how many people they prayed with. And in countries like India and Burma, he has had the opportunity to pray with people. And now, when we think about this Unbound ministry that we have here at Crosstown, because they use the word deliverance in their description. Now, if you're like me, you get kind of like, uh, you know, that kind of, sounds like something out of the, that's Scully you know, or something from the X-Files. I don't want to be involved in that. It sounds too demonic. It sounds too spiritual and too weird and and things like that. But when I asked what percentage of being personally bound up found its root in dysfunctional relationships, Ben said at least 75% of the people that they pray with It's not some sort of demonic force that's worked its way into their life against their will. But rather, it is just the byproduct of some uh, dysfunctional relationship with a mother or with a a dad or with somebody that has victimized them or somebody that did them wrong. See, darkness, according to John, is used to describe broken relationships. And too many of us today, too many of us right here are saved and God loving, but we are shrouded with darkness. We're just refusing to forgive. And I'm just gonna I don't I don't even think I won't I not I don't even think we need the Holy Spirit to do this part, but we won't dare do it without him because he will guide us on how to do it rightly. But right now, if I was to say, I bet you have somebody that you have chosen that you're not going to forgive and that person's already dropped into your head. You already know who they are. Now you thought that was a prerogative of yours because maybe they did do you wrong. But if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you call yourself somebody that is in the light as he is in the light, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, then God wants to deal with that piece of darkness in your life. He wants to deal with it today. Too many of us talk about going to heaven, praying the sinner's prayer, that's a good Bible Belt thing. Going up to an altar, accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, but we're refusing to forgive. We're unwilling to reconcile, and we're letting selfishness drive us. The coming of Christ was so that we could live in the light as he is in the light, and the light is more than just the forgiveness of our sins. Like I said earlier, I wish it was just about me and Jesus. But it's the restoration of relationship with others. John is basically saying that if we refuse to forgive, then we're lying about our understanding of Christ. Somebody walked up to you and said, well, can you tell me, you know, I'm thinking about accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. Can you tell me about him? And then you lay down how he came to the earth and how he died on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again. And that God wants us to have a relationship with him. That through Jesus, we become the sons and the daughters of God. But we continue to have unforgiveness in our, our lives. John says, you're lying about your relationship with Jesus. Jesus you're lying about it. He says, darkness is in you because of it. Even though you've got the tenets of your faith all worked out, and yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to heaven. Yes, God loves you. But John says, listen, you're lying about your understanding, because if you really understood what this Jesus thing was about, you would understand that you can't go around hating Arabs. You can't go around hating your mother-in-law. You can't go around hating people who are different than you. You can't go around, you know, hitting somebody even if they did something grotesquely wrong to you. Jesus reveals in a prayer, he, he, you know, he's, when he's talking to his father, we, one of the disciples must have heard this prayer and kind of captured it and was inspired by the Spirit to write it down. But he wanted us to hear the heart of Jesus talking to his father. That's, that's outside of the program. That's outside of the historical stuff that Jesus is doing. This is getting an opportunity to hear, what is this about, Jesus? And so Jesus is talking to his dad about, about it, and he's praying to him, and he's praying for us. Listen to what he prays in John 17, 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If there is a problem with atheism in the world today, it's not because people don't believe in God. It's because they don't think we believe in God. He says he says that they may be one just as you and I are one, so that they may be in us, because when they are in us and they are in one another in relationship with each other, then Christianity becomes believable. But what's giving, you know, it's not physics that's giving a cause for the unbelief of God. It's not microbiology which is giving a cause for the unbelief in God. That's. It's funny, Jesus Didn't say I left science here to show God, even though you can see the necessity of a creator. He said, no, 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 that's that's not the Petri dish where I left the evidence of the divine. He said, where I left the evidence in the divine is how we love each other. That's it. So if the world's not believing in God, it's not because Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion." It's because when they look at us, they just thought, you're you're no different than I am. You you hate your ex-wife just like I hate my ex-wife. You know, maybe an unbeliever is even nicer to Arabs than I am to Arabs. It's like, what do you got that I don't got? You're just as selfish and unforgiving and, you know, unreconcilable to the people that do you wrong. So Jesus is praying that they may be one that the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. Man, when you hear this, you kind of figure out, not so that they can fix the world, not so, all that, peop- not so that people don't die, not so that all sickness is driven from the planet. He says, I have given them our glory so that they may be one as we are one. And I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. There, if you've ever asked yourself a question, it's logically ridiculous, but could God make a rock so big that he couldn't lift it? Well, if there's a rock that God's not going to lift, It's the rock on how we love each other. It's like, well, God, if and I've begged God to do miracles so that it would shut up Lawrence Krauss, you know, so that it would shut up Hitchens and all these other, these great atheists. It'd be like, God, just do one stinking miracle so you could shut these dummies up. He's like, no, I'm not moving the rock. It's like, why aren't you, what is it? He's like, no, I have put you on the planet and that your love for one another so that they may believe in me. It's like, yeah, but I want something in a Petri dish. I want something in a test tube. I want to prove it with a microscope. And I'm not saying there aren't evidences. But God says, listen, no, dude. As long as the church is just as mean to each other, just as as long as Christians are still rude to their spouses and, and, and their mother-in-laws and to Arabs, I'm just gonna keep throwing the Arab one out there, you know, as long as that's going on, you won't be able to prove nothing. You won't be able to prove anything. Jesus, in, in a turn of abstract language, talks about the relational chain that connects us with God and us with each other. I'm about to show you an illustration of this chain of love that God has wanted to put in place. Now, before you see this video, I want you to know that everything works out, but I wanted to kind of give you a visual of, you know the, the, the son and the father, the father and the son, and then how the, the son is supposed to be in us and then us in one another. Let's get this visual in our heads Come You can admit you're crying out there. I'll tell you what. I was like, that, that sweet little dog. If you ever wanted to figure out, there's this big word in theology called soteriology because Christians just make up big stupid words. Um, it's, it's the theology of how God saves humanity. That was exactly it. He puts together a chain of relationships that God connects himself in relationship, he's connected with Jesus, who comes to the earth. So there's the hand stretch, it's called the incarnation, that God reaches into the world, Jesus takes his place and holds on to the Father, and I am in the Father and and the Father is in me, we got that relational connection there. But then Jesus dies for us, So he reaches down for us and grabs our hand. And we have this whole process. So you may ask yourself, well, who's saving you? Well, you know, anybody in the chain. Do I pray to God? Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to Jesus? They're all in the chain, pray to whoever you want. You know, I mean, you're not getting it wrong. They're all links in the chain. And so, but the thing is, is we don't know that we are part of that linkage. God is not saving the world apart from our reach into it. That dingbat, that jerk, that, can I say that? (laughs) You know if I'm saying that. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, okay, I I probably won't say it, but the words that we normally use when somebody displeases us in in a certain way um, and God's like, listen, when you, turn, when you decide they're not being forgiven, or they're too Arab, or they're too this, you have decided the dog stays in the water. So, well, God wouldn't do that. You know, I'm, that's the plan. It's like, if you're in the light as he is in the light, we have the ability to win the world to God if we continue to gossip and and uh, backbite each other and and are jealous of each other, then the whole salvation plan just kind of, it just stops and we we, we are in this broken place. John said, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in him there is no darkness, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in it. And he's blinded by darkness. I mean, just from the images from that dog being rescued, when we are rightly connected to God through Jesus, see, there's no other way to the Father except through the Son. That's the right connection. Once we are rightly connected through Jesus and rightly connected to those we need to love, the rescue prevails your marriage is saved. Your relationship is restored. Maybe the relationship, in your case, can't be restored because of the violation, but at least now, it, it's not your absence of forgiveness that keeps that person from God. But if we are unwilling in unforgiveness and resentment and in hatred, and unwilling to reconcile, the chain is broken. And though our relationship with God that led to salvation is secure. Our fellowship is broken. Not from the person we hate. is Not that the crazy thing. We and the person we hate get stuck in the water together. People that we hate are like fine treasure. You know, because if you hate somebody, like I've hated people, you have to protect that hate. I mean, it's a special group. I mean, it's a drawer in the Chester drawers that you go into. If you ever break into my house, no, up on the second floor, go into my bedroom, and there's a Chester drawer, and it has all the birth records and all that other stuff. Just wanted to keep you from messing up the rest of the house. But that's where it's all at. But, you know, and you'll open up, and you'll see birth records and Social Security cards and all this other stuff and and some jewelry stuff. Nothing nothing, nothing impressive. Um, But, you know, we keep our hate just as precious You have to keep hate on a life support system. Otherwise, it would just go away. You have to keep it alive. It has to be treasured by you. And when we look at it that way, we don't realize, I mean, it's all of a sudden you see that I am really keeping this brokenness alive and I'm not separated. I'm not separated from the person I hate. I'm still bound to them. And where the brokenness is, is between me and Christ. I'm still saved. I'm still going to heaven. But there isn't that light of relationship and fellowship that flows between us. The Father wants us to have the same relationship with each other that he has with Jesus and Jesus has with him. That's the model. John, Jesus said in John 17 that they may be one as, as you and I are one. So that's our standard. It's how Jesus and the Father interact with each other. So what does that look like? Jesus told us. He said, here's a quality of uh, of relationship. He said, the Father is greater than I in John 14, 28. I know that's hard to figure out, especially since they're one. But he says, the Father is greater than I. What is that relationship quality? Humility, dealing with people with humility. Jesus had that relationship quality. He said to us in Luke 22, when he was praying to the Father right before his crucifixion, he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's a relationship quality of service where we serve others, not just our will, not just what I want to do, not just what I want to have happen, but we serve other people. Jesus continued to tell us in John 10.10. He said to his disciples, I and the Father are one. That they had this quality of unity. Now remember, unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. The Bible Belt, we practice uniformity as well as unity. That means we want all Christians to be exactly the same in uniformity. But there is a way to have unity without uniformity. You want to dress a certain way? That's cool. You want to listen to a different kind of music? That's cool. You think some theological different things than I do? You know, cool. That's all right. You know, but Jesus preserved this unity of relationship with him and his father. And then in John 14, 31, he said, I do as the father has commanded me. He was obedient to relational truths. So if God tells you to forgive, stop looking for option B. If he says forgive one another, there is no other option. That means you gotta forgive. How many times I've sat people in counseling and they've told me of the horrific story that has occurred. What do you think God wants me to do? I'm like, what do you think God wants you to do? I think he wants me to forgive them. And I'm like, well, man, thank you for paying me to, to hear you say that to yourself. But we know that, but, but are we following through? If you're sitting in a barren marriage right now, I'm telling you, those, those qualities that I just read off will save your marriage. You're the only one that says your marriage is done. Because maybe at some point you've decided, I'm not doing those relational truths any longer. What is the nature of our relationship with others? It's far too often it's competition, jealousy, hatred, envy, fear, unforgiveness. I got all those things working in my life. And they're not personal prerogatives. They are not excused because I'm white. They're not excused because it's my temperament or the way that I was made. They are darkness. They are darkness in any human being on this planet. They are darkness. And God says, I want you to walk in the light as I'm in the light. So as we're kind of closing this up, I, I know you walked in here to get, get a happy, happy love God, God loves you today. And, and, I, and that, we, didn't, we didn't go from that at all. We didn't leave that at all. We're just kind of busting the light. We're trying to understand that love that God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ chained himself together with the Father to reach into the world to rescue some dogs. Some dogs in the torrent rain and the, that were going to be swept away. For God so loved us that way. Now God turn, says, I want you to turn around. I want you to res- rescue the dog. Who's the dog in your life? Who's that person that Yeah, I wouldn't raise a finger to help them. And God's like, okay, your understanding of me is totally contingent, not your salvation, but your understanding of me is totally contingent on what you do with the dog in your life. I know I look over all this stuff and and I am not marginalizing your pain because some of you have been dealt with horrifically. Horrifically. Um. So to just say, well, you need to stop being jealous or hateful or unforgiveness, unforgiving. But can I just tell you this? You don't have to do this in your own strength. If you don't want to do this, welcome to Christianity. If all this sounds too hard to do, welcome to Christianity. Because this is, it is. But we are told by the Apostle Paul in Romans 5.5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I need God love in me in order for me to forgive others. So God doesn't just say, hey, you know what, you need to forgive them, and then when you get it all straight, well, I'll love you again. He's like, no, I'm loving you so you can do this. I'm connecting myself with you when you were unlovable. I connected myself with you so I could pour love into you so that you could turn around and find your unlovable and grab their hand and rescue them out of the water. So it may be very as practical as your mother-in-law, and I'm sorry, ladies, I I keep saying mother-in-law. It could have been father-in-laws. I could have thrown them in there. I'll I'll finish the service with father-in-laws just to keep it equitable for the rest of the service. You know, your father-in-law may be coming over today for lunch after church, and he's a total doofus, okay? (laughs) Here's what you do. Before he arrives, you go into your bedroom, And you get down on your knees and you say, Father, I thank you that while I was yet a sinner, you died for me. And you created a chain for me to have fellowship with you. Father, I ask now that that same love will fill me for my father-in-law. And that you will help me stick out my hand to help save him. Fill me because I don't want to do this. I can't stand his guts. But in Jesus' name, please help me. I'm telling you. That's how it works. I, that's exactly how it works, and you'll be surprised on how the Spirit of God will enable you to love someone that you thought was totally unlovable. So as we move into expressions, this moment where we, we take communion, this moment where we have a, a, a time of prayer with maybe our pastors or with, our, with uh, us and God and pin it to the cross, let me just ask you, are you stuck with the dog in the raging waters? Your hatred is yours, and you own it, and it stays with you, and it's chained to you until you choose to do otherwise. Are you chained to hate, to prejudice, to pride, to resentment? Are you chained to it? Do you want to walk in the light as he is in the light, in the light of life, will fill you. And the glory of God will fill your life. And the darkness will be dispelled around you. I, I was in Walmart looking at some, it's so easy. I was in Walmart looking at some fishing tackle. And there was a gentleman next to me and I'm just gonna tell you, he was an African American man about my age standing next to me. Now I am on purpose these days, trying to break these stereotypes. That's why I'm telling you this, this generation has to be intentional, okay? Maybe the next generation will inherit our success, but this one, those of us who stand between the, you know, the celebrated prejudice of the 50s and where we are now, we have actually got to go out of our way to make the connections. And so I, the man was looking at some hooks and I was like, looks like you got some big fishing planned. And um, he said, oh, yes, I do. And I picked up this giant hook. You know, it was like this big lure. I said, you need this in your, tool, in your taco box. And he was like, oh, sir. And I said, every man needs to walk around with a lure that's bigger than the biggest fish he's ever caught just to remind him there may be just one bigger one to catch. And we had this great conversation. And by the time it was over, he put his hand around me and he said, I want to thank you for talking to me today. And I looked at him and I said, why wouldn't I talk to my brother? And I'm telling you, there was no darkness to be found. I don't know what his religious preference was. I don't know what his sexual activity was. I just decided darkness is not going to abide with me. And every one of us can do that, whether it's a race issue for you, whether it's a marriage issue for you, whether it's a family issue or it's a work issue. You have the power. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. There is a rock that he will not move, and it is our hatred. He tells us it is time for us to die, that they may have new life. It's time for us to take our place in the chain of grace and salvation. We were not put in this world to represent Jesus. We were put in this world to present Jesus. And there's a big difference. And you have that power. Fathers, we enter into this moment together. And for a lot of us, we enter into it with mixed feelings, even with some fear and some hatred. God, you still say, come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden. And that means laden with hatred and jealousy and prejudice. Because you then said, and I will give you rest. So don't be embarrassed today by your hatred. Give it away. So Father, we come into your presence We come and we eat the bread and we drink of the cup because it is the chain of grace into our lives, but not just for us, but for all men through us. So, Father, now we come and the darkness is dispelled.